The wolf pack leader smiled graciously, rearing its head for the killing blow, and suddenly the ground gave way beneath her. Great wings beat on either side as the scene of the battle grew smaller and smaller until the tops of the trees of the great forest were all that could be seen below. And then, a release. In the rush of air as two shadowy winged creatures swooped away, leaving Ferris tumbling back toward the ground, a final howling shriek rending the night sky. Good plan, my new friend. The voice of Jeremy could only just be heard as he tucked his wings and plummeted in tandem with Crafton, the great bird of prey. Together, the large bat and parrot-like creature targeted another wolf, dove, snagged, lifted, and dropped. Again and again with ruthless efficiency, and soon the battlefield began to clear as notice was taken of their aerial attack. Old Pete staggered back to his feet in time to shudder at the thunderous roar of a great tiger whose massive muscled form was now standing next to him. Fear not, bird. Reinforcements have arrived, growled Marvelous as his white frame glinted in the moonlight. Then the great shape pounced away as one, two, three, and more wolf-like forms were sent sprawling. Uh, about time and a worthy compatriot, noted the stone lieutenant, as she too was able to take a moment's rest from the attack gathering a stream of stones about her and now rolling forward in the wake of the great tiger, pushing the pack back. The wolves were disappearing as well, somehow being lifted straight into the dark night sky, and then the familiar twittering sound heralding the finches return. Oh my, oh my, I, I hope this was the right thing to do. Salazar alighted on the head of the stone lieutenant as the remainder of the wolf pack began to turn and run back into the darkness. And after a moment, as swiftly as the battle had begun, silence returned. And with it, two large winged creatures landed abruptly before the stone lieutenant, 
as the great tiger padded back from the edge of the forest. Seeing the group converging, old Pete pushed himself back to his feet and tenderly waddled over to the others. An exceptional counter, I must say. Very fine work, troops, very fine indeed. But I've not seen you before. Are you outworlders? The face of the stone lieutenant somehow slid back to that of eyes and nose, its warlike helmet no longer visible. I apologize for not having introduced ourselves earlier, but it seemed wiser to take action first. The assured form of the Kia stepped into a waning beam of moonlight, its magnificent green feathers shimmering metallically as it cocked its head in appraisal of the small group that now stood in a makeshift circle just beyond the opening of the great stone structure. My name is Crafton. This is marvelous. And we are indeed, as you call us, outworlders. With this, Crafton tipped his beak without breaking eye contact with the others. It was a good thing that I saw Jeremy, a surprising but familiar face as he too is one of our kind. Crafton now tilted his head back toward the large fruit bat, who had remained just outside the circle. Oh, yes, yes. We have performed together before in the other... the other world, as, as you call it. Confirmed Jeremy before being cut off by Crafton. As for me, I do not believe in coincidence. You see, I and my compatriot Marvelous here were sent from our own world to yours to ensure the safety of a small human child. But we have not been able to find her, I'm afraid. Then it is indeed fortunate that you have arrived, Forerby. The stone lieutenant was cut off in turn by a flurry of wings above its head and the chirping voice of Salazar. Oh, yes, very fortunate indeed. If only we had seen a human. Uh, why, it has been uh, many cycles since I, all my friends here... Have... Salazar was himself interrupted in turn by the loud sniff of the great white tiger. Smell familiar, don't you have a little friend as well? I think we're all just a bit frazzled from the fight, eh? Added Crafton smoothly, having picked up on his counterpart's insinuation. Say, I was just here not too long ago, right before that crazy heron started to raise a ruckus. I believe I may have dropped something inside that stone circle. Do you mind if I take a look around? Crafton was already heading in that direction as the others watched curiously, and as Salazar fluttered quickly ahead, trying to keep himself between the door and the approaching Kia. Finally, the small finch settled himself on a rock just outside the entrance and puffed his feathers in defiance. Not another step, you. You were working with Millicent. And while we thank you for saving our friends, there is simply nothing here of interest to you. Oh, I'm quite sure that I'll be the judge of that. And as the words left the Kia's beak, the shrill voice of Mift could finally be heard from within the stone structure. Just wake up, just wake up. Now all of them were rushing to the entrance toward Mift's shrill cry, and as one coming to a shocking halt as the scene unraveled before them, Barely visible as he clung to Charlie's still form was Mift, but he was not the object of their amazement, for there was Charlie, wrapped in darkness and suspended over the center of the great stone slab as darkness seemed to pour from everywhere, 
as a great stream lifted from her form out and away from the top of the great structure, arcing toward what could only be the direction of the great stump, where Millicent and her forces had gone. Sensing that their opportunity had finally arrived, the Kia turned a keen eye toward Marvelous and whispered his name. Marvelous, you know what to do. And the great tiger leapt with gaping mouth and a fierce roar. Charlie? Charlie? This time the voice was different, more familiar. But Charlie in her haze could barely focus long enough to care. She just wanted to rest. But again, the voice was persistent, not like it was before, for this time it sounded both gentle and sad. Charlie, this is Adeline. If you can hear me, Charlie, we need your help. We need you to do something that only you can do. Something inside Charlie's mind rang like a small bell as the voice spoke, and in spite of all the great weariness that lay over her, Charlie roused her mind enough to reply. I'm so tired. Please, leave me alone. Please, let me go. The shock of the reply emboldened Adeline as pressing bodies around her slammed into her and scraped her with horns and claws she braced herself further to maintain contact with the root and called out to Charlie once again. I can hear you, Charlie. It's me, Adeline. This isn't a dream. You are trapped, but you have the power to free yourself and all of your friends. Charlie's waking mind knew the words to be true. This sounded like the antelope that had met her and then left her at the beginning of this journey. I have no friends here. All of you just want something from me. Just, just leave me alone. Charlie, I'm sorry. Adeline knew she had just this one chance. This isn't your world. You owe nothing to us. But we are in desperate need. And you are right. The price we ask of you is too high. But if you do nothing, you will lose everything. Your real home, and those that have come to love you here. No one, no one loves me. Everyone has abandoned me. This time, Charlie's voice sounded less assured, as if she were hoping that her words were not true. You're wrong, Adeline. Everyone is wrong. I have nothing to give any of you. No, Charlie, but don't take my word for it. Look with your own eyes, with your own heart. 
Adeline gathered what strength remained, and with one final powerful gasp, she leapt from the root into the burning storm that swirled about the top of the great stump. From within the swirling fire, Millicent saw the leaping form of the antelope and shrieked, No! No! But it was too late. As Adeline's form entered the swirling boundary of fire, sparks issued up and along the darkness that streamed away from Millicent toward the little girl. For a moment, Charlie's eyes cleared just as the tiny form of Mift leapt from her shoulder straight into the gaping jaws of the roaring tiger that was even now flying directly toward her. And then, everything froze. Salazar saw it all unfold like a scene from a silent film. As the tiger leapt, his dearest friend Mift dove straight at Marvelous with the boundless courage that none could match. He saw the girl's eyes open wide in shock and then terror and then something different. It was not rage nor sorrow, it was neither hope nor fear, but something in between all of those things. The look in her eyes froze everything around her, as time itself gave way to her will, and there, from the center of her chest, a light began to pulse and gleam, dimly at first, but then with greater purpose and power, it seemed to infect the darkness around her, scattering that darkness like mere motes of dust until the girl shone brightly, too brightly to watch. But Salazar could not close his eyes, caught as he was in mid-flight, frozen in time, like all the world around him. And then, a sound. Not a sound of sorrow or pain, not a deep rumble or screeching hiss, but the sound of some ancient song. One that somehow he had always known, but had not heard in a very long time. The strains of this song lifted all around the shining form of the small child as she lifted her hands into the air and opened them palms aloft to the sky above. Then light, like that of a thousand suns, poured from the child in undulating pulsing rivers that the once overwhelming darkness could not contain. And as the light grew in strength, so did the song until it burst wave knocked Salazar from the sky and sent him twirling and tumbling to the mossy ground below. For a moment he could hear nothing, feel nothing, see nothing, nothing but a blinding light and faint ringing. But in moments the ringing faded, and so he picked himself up from the ground. There was old Pete, 
He too is just now getting to his feet. The stone lieutenant's stones had been blown apart but were now gathering back together into the familiar martial form. Of the tiger and the kia there was no sign, and the little girl too had vanished along with. Mr. Kettle sat behind the large wooden desk in his formal office. He only invited people into this room when the situation called for something a little extra. The woman that sat primly on the edge of the low chair appeared to be the typical government type. She was neat as a pin, showing little emotion, with the dark hair pulled back and her gray suit providing no conversational prompts. But she had done what he expected upon entering the room. Her eyes had taken in the sights and trophies of his years of business and networking. His office was adorned with name-dropping photos and gifts and notes and awards. I can see you're a person that can appreciate a businessman like myself. Why, the stories this room can tell. He tilted in his seat and reached out to a glass box that held a police shield. The chief presented this to me last winter, I believe. Kettle mused as if having seen it for the first time in quite a while and marveling at the circumstances surrounding the gifting of such a thing. To our very own Gotham Knight. <laughs> Please admire the work I've done in helping to curb illicit activities here in the flats. His voice trailed off as he looked over to the woman whose expression remained unchanged. Miss Fillmore sat patiently as she waited for the inevitable bloviation to take its course. The room was impressive, as was the incredible evidence of graft the man had accumulated over his years in control of the Eastern Flats. Rather than continuing with this charade, Miss Fillmore took a moment to lift her briefcase to her lap and click the locks open before raising the lid. She withdrew a vanilla envelope concealed the thick document she had carried with her for this meeting today. After setting the briefcase on the ground again, she stood and took a step toward his desk, setting the envelope there and placing her hand on it as she leaned toward his seated form. Two could play at this game. Mr. Kettle, I appreciate the unfettered access you granted me in the child abandonment investigation that brought me to your building, and I have prepared a report that I would like to share of my findings before I take further action with the family involved. Her voice cut through the haze of the room, causing Kettle to roll his cushioned chair back from her as she now towered over his seated position. Well, that won't be necessary, my dear. Why don't you just uh, leave that with me? I'm sure we both have better things to do. Kettle attempted to make his voice sound nonchalant as his mind tried to figure out what exactly her play was here. Oh, I will. Miss Fillmore smiled as she lifted the envelope from the desk and stepped back a moment, but her piercing gaze never left him. 
But first, I thought it would only be fair to share my findings, as a professional courtesy. The corners of her mouth compressed just slightly. I see that you have created quite the network in this small part of the city. She emphasized the word small, specifically, to elicit the reaction she was now seeing in his face as a slight flush grew around the collar of his throat. I too have a number of friends that I've been reviewing my case information with, and they suggested that things might not be as rosy here as they appear. I see. Kettle's countenance grew dark as the woman continued. How dare she come to his office, some small nothing of a government pawn, and act like she could even breathe the same air. I think I've heard quite enough, Ms. Fillmore. Why don't you leave those documents with me? I have a pressing appointment with the mayor that I wouldn't want to miss. But Miss Fillmore continued unfazed. I see. So we are dispensing with the niceties then? Fair enough. Mr. Kettle, the state has investigated a suspected issue of child abandonment and neglect with one of the residents of your state and federally subsidized tenant buildings. While that case remains open, in the course of our investigation and in keeping with the established memoranda between our departments, I have shared my findings regarding your compliance with the relevant laws and regulations to the Department of Fair Housing and Employment. Mr. Kittle crashed to his feet, knocking his chair backwards and into the display case behind him, rattling the contents within. Ah, that's enough, woman. You should leave now before this becomes unpleasant. His meaty hand reached the phone on his desk, but paused before lifting the receiver. The one thing that no longer surprised Miss Fillmore was the instinct of a cornered man to threaten violence. And while this particular man appeared more likely than most to actually make good on his threat, she knew that she had taken the right course of action. With this, she held out the manila envelope toward him, having the expected effect of cutting through his rising emotion. Here, the details are inside. Mr. Kettle reached over the desk and quickly swiped the folder from her hand, tearing at the small string that held the package closed. What is this exactly? Kettle's voice was a veritable snarl. Miss Fillmore gave him a moment to open the envelope and begin to slide the bound document, its embossed seal glinting in the dim light. You, Mr. Kettle, have been served. Mr. Harvey Kettle and as the proprietor of Kettle Holdings, you are summoned to appear before the district court to respond to federal and state charges of violations of multiple regulations and requirements of the Fair Housing Act. Kettle removed the papers as she spoke, stunned into silence, as he fought to make sense of what exactly was happening. Her voice buzzed at him as she continued. Your residents have the right to live in decent, safe, and sanitary housing that is free from environmental hazards the right to have repairs performed in a timely manner upon request, the right to organize as residents without obstruction, harassment, or retaliation from property owners or management, and Mr. Kettle. The families that live in these buildings absolutely have the right to be free of your systemic discrimination based on familial status. Slamming the papers on the heavy desk, Mr. Kettle did not look up at her, held in check only by the thin thread of sense that doing anything else here would only weaken his position. Get out. His voice was but a whispered rasp as his eyes continued to bore into the desktop in front of him. Miss Gladys Fillmore 
had already retrieved her briefcase and without a second look, moved silently out of the office. There was one last task she needed to perform. Days had passed as a small group of woodlings gathered at the site of the great stump. A wreath of flowers had grown all around its wide base, and there in the center of the cracked wood stood a slender sapling, its thin green needles glistening in the light that poured from the clear blue sky above. Gone were the wolves and the wild creatures. They had slunk away after the miracle that night. In the climax of the heron's piercing chant, a blinding light had descended on the whole of the stump, obliterating everything in its path and sending the evils of the night rolling at the front of a mighty wave of power that none could even describe. Only those woodlings that had stayed true remained, though even these had been knocked to the ground by a mighty concussive blow. Millicent was gone, and in her place stood this beautiful young tree. All that remained atop the surface of the great stump was the small sapling and the still limp form of Adeline. For many cycles, there would be debate about what exactly happened that night. It seemed that each of the woodlings had seen something different. Some had seen great ancestors return to strike blows against the prancing creatures of darkness. Others swore that Adeline herself had defeated the great heron in a climatic battle. Still others saw the form of a small glowing child appear and take the heron into an embrace that formed a small tree that now grew at the center. For Salazar, who had taken up residence in a crook of one of the surrounding trees, all he knew was that his dear brother Mift was gone. And yet, while sorrow filled his heart, he felt certain that this is what was always meant to be. And so in the days that passed, that momentous moment, he had taken to the task of learning to scribe his and others' memories down on small rolls of bark and parchment that he now stored in a small rock enclosure that the lessons learned and the heroes made might never be forgotten. Ah, uh, uh, careful there. That one goes just to the right of the big one. But carefully... I'll not have you spoil a single scroll. Well, I suppose our work here is done. The stone lieutenant stood before her army, surveying the work they had finally completed. The trees and earth they had demolished had been smoothed back and, with the help of the woodlings, small saplings had been planted in their place. The great stone circle had been dismantled once and for all and the great stones themselves had been ground into fine gravel and spread over the ground where they had once stood. You there, Sergeant? 
continued the lieutenant as she indicated the large cockapo. It had stopped working to take a rest in the shade of a tree. No one said you could take a break. Up now. We are nearly finished here. All that remains is the final salute and then we'll be off. Old Pete wearily came to his feet, shaking gravel dust from his feathers. Well, these weary old bones have had all the adventure they need for quite some time. For a moment, the old bird looked about and then sighed. I sure do miss the little fellow. Mighty brave thing he did. Mighty foolish, but mighty brave all the same. All right, then. Company, attention. Stone Lieutenant's voice rang out loud and clear as the sun crested over sun they had not seen in years and years, as twilight had rained, but the grasp of darkness seemed to have been cleared from the land entirely. We gather this day to honor our fallen friends, to commemorate their deeds, and to consecrate these hallowed grounds. Let it be known this day that a great battle was lost, not won. For of all our might and all our training, it was not the mighty among us that saved the day, but the smallest and the brightest. Today we honor those that have gone before us. Let their deeds remain forever in our hearts. Let their courage be our guiding star should darkness ever return. And let the light of their memory always light the path before us. Our friends, our compatriots, we salute Part of Charlie is voiced by Jolene Fresquez from Dice Tower Theater. Salazar the Yellow Finch is voiced by Brad Zimmerman from the Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Mift the Chipmunk is also voiced by Brad Zimmerman from the Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Adeline the Antelope is voiced by Alexandria Young Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Marvelous the White Tiger is voiced by Mike Ashley from Dice Tower Theater. Millicent, the Great Blue Heron, is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Joan Williard Stewart, Charlie's aunt, is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Brian Burke, the maintenance chief, is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. Jinx January, 
the building manager, is voiced by Kenneth Eccles from Podcast Reviews, Reviews Podcast. Mr. Kettle, the landlord, is voiced by Mike Atchley from Dice Tower Theater. Jeremy, a fruit bat, is voiced by Daniel Nichols from the Happy-Go-Lucky Podcast. Old Pete, the Kakapa, is voiced by Sean Yates from Kid Cryptid. Crafton, the Kia, is voiced by Kenny from A Necessary Evil. Ferris, the Wolf, is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Miss Fillmore, the child services worker, is voiced by Alexandria Young-Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Miss Oldmeyer, the caregiver, is voiced by Bob Anit from the Drive With Us podcast. Rupert Kersman is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. The Stone Lieutenant is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Charlie Saves Christmas is an original story written, produced, and narrated by Daniel Nichols from the Happy-Go-Lucky Podcast and is made possible by our patrons and the support of our listening audience and the tremendous voice talent of our many podcasting creators and friends. Please join us in applauding the tremendous talent of these wonderful friends and creators and be sure to discover a whole new range of fantastic content as you explore each of their podcasts and creative endeavors. Thank you for listening and subscribing. For more information about this story and other productions of the Happy Go Lucky podcast, visit us online at happygolucky.com. Lucky is spelled L-U-K-K-Y. From all of us at the Happy Go Lucky podcast, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful holiday season.